at the very heart of God is self-giving. It's a generosity of self driven by love. 1 John 4 says quite simply, God is love. That's the essence of God. God is love itself. And as so many have memorized at some point along the way, I know you did, and as we heard again just a moment ago, the Gospel of John says that for God so loved the world that God gave. God gave God's one and only Son, which we know is another way of expressing God gave of God's own self for the healing, the salvation, the wholeness of the world. At the very heart of God is a profound generosity, a giving of God's own self inspired and driven by love. And I've been thinking this week about how there are moments in our world and moments in our own lives where we can see echoes of that and we can feel echoes of that divine heart, that giving of oneself inspired by love. Maybe the easiest example to point to are some of the perhaps sleepless nights that Robert and Rebecca L. have had over the last few weeks with little Robert in the last uh, several days, or the sleepless nights and maybe scared moments that Lindsay and Darren were experiencing for the very first time with little baby Brayden, new parents. Can you remember what that's like? Do you remember how exhausting and overwhelming and hard it feels in one moment and how overwhelmed with love you are in the very next moment? And that, of course, is just the beginning of parenthood, right? One of the things you all have told me many times along the way is that doesn't change as your kids get older. One of the great challenges, and I think the great gifts of being a parent, is this chance to live the divine heart in a unique way. By the countless ways you are giving of yourself, not begrudgingly, but because you're caught up in this impulse of generosity, of of a self-giving that's inspired by this very natural love for your kids. That desire is just planted there to want to give good things to your kids. That impulse that will happen in moments to care for them first, even if it costs you something. And so those flight attendants have to keep reminding you, no, put on your mask first and then take care of your kids because they know that's not what you're going to do. All of that is nothing less than God's own heart that's just naturally reverberating in your own heart. I can also see and feel echoes of that in each of you who I know get up early so many Saturday mornings to work at the International Food Pantry with Sasha and Mira. So many people in our congregation have done that recently, and some of you have been doing that regularly for a long time, giving of your time and your energy to help feed the hungry and the struggling and to support that work that's being done with refugees and immigrants in our cities For these day springers so love the world that they give of themselves. It's just this reverberation of God's heart in you. And they certainly aren't the only ones here. That impulse of the divine heart, it echoes throughout this congregation in so many of your lives because I have watched, and there are just so many of you 
who so loved the world that you give of yourself. You have done and you do do it in your careers and in your jobs. And I see as you do it in your neighborhoods and school districts. Many of you do it among your family members. If you look at the rhythms of your life, the relationships and the commitments that you just are living into, you can probably find it there because you have been created in the image of a God who is driven by love to a holy kind of self-giving. This love echoes in you, and it almost always finds its way out of you, and sometimes it just happens when you don't even realize it, like an exhausted parent who's just doing whatever it takes to take care of their babies because sometimes you do what you have to do. But there are some other times when it's a little bit less automatic. There are other times when we have to make a decision about how we are going to let divine, holy generosity flow out of us to the world. In the letter that Paul wrote to the second, and we call Second Corinthians, this letter he wrote to the church there in Corinth, that congregation is actually at one of those moments. He's writing to them specifically about an offering that he's coming to collect from them, an offering that is going to support lots of other churches and other ministries and other towns and other places. And it's a really important offering, one they have committed to in the past, but Paul does not want to twist their arms when it comes time for giving. Paul is not interested in manipulating people into generosity or guilting people into generosity, and he explains that and hints at that repeatedly in chapter 8 as he starts writing about this offering. And then he moves into chapter 9 and gets really explicit about it in the verse right before the reading we just heard. In verse 5, he writes, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you've promised so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. Paul really does not want them to feel extorted or pressured, and he goes to great lengths in his writing to make sure of that. But... Being the wise leader that Paul is, he knows that this is, though, one of those moments where he needs to be really clear with them. Their giving matters. It matters so much for those who will receive it. It will result in great thanksgiving for those who receive it, he says. And it matters greatly for them as a church. And so he challenges them to recognize that this is one of those moments where they have to make a decision about how to let divine generosity flow out of them to the world. He wants them to decide and to be really purposeful about their decision, which basically means that for the church there in Corinth, just like us here at Dayspring, it's pledging time. (laughs) It's time to talk about our money, to think about it. And I know that's everybody's favorite time of the year, right? This is when we start singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's your favorite holiday, Uh, the pledging Sunday, right? It's actually really hard to know what we should give or what our part should be, isn't it? It's hard to know what's enough, what isn't enough. 
And overall, there's just always so many pressures and so many demands and so many emotions around our money, aren't there? So, you know, really the safest course of action for Paul, as well as for any pastor for that matter, is to just not talk about it. And so sometimes as pastors, that's what we do, but not Paul. Because Paul understands that the safest course of action for him is not often the best course of action for the church. And as a little side note, I'm going to sort of step out of my sermon for a moment, give you one of those wisdom pieces about being a pastor on one of my last few Sundays here. One of the things you should know about being a pastor, in fact, one of probably the hardest parts of being a pastor in this particular time in our culture, in American Christianity, is that as a pastor, part of your job, your responsibility, is to take steps and to speak words that often are not safe for you to take or to speak. And that's actually a very vulnerable place to be. So I just want to plant that little seed there so you can keep that tucked away and remember that. Remember to be gracious to your next pastor in the way that you have been so gracious to me so many times. And and especially keep that in mind if you start to feel frustrated with some things they say or do, that they may feel quite more vulnerable than you realize. Paul, he was never one to play it safe because he understood that for the church to thrive, it couldn't play it safe. And so he spends two chapters of this long letter talking to the Corinthians about what they're going to give and how to decide how much to give and It leads up to this reading we heard just a moment ago. The point is this, Paul says. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In the end, it's kind of just that simple. It's one of those key spiritual principles. The more you learn to give of yourself, the more rich in self you will become. And we don't just mean money here. I'm talking about a much larger kind of giving, but it is a giving that also includes your money. And it includes the whole of who you are. The more you learn to give of yourself and of your life, the more rich and full of life you will become. So if you want a fruitful life, then you have to learn to live a generous life. And in the same way, if you want a thriving church producing kingdom fruit, as we have said, you have to learn to give generously to that church. And let me say that one more time, just to make sure that really sinks in as you are thinking now about your pledges and your commitments that you're going to make next Sunday. And as you think about the future of Dayspring and what you hope that future will be, Remember, if you want a thriving church producing kingdom fruit, you can't play it safe. You have to give generously of your life to that hope of what the church will be. Now, I know you already do this. (laughs) I have, for 11 years now almost, been watching you do that. And Dayspring, part of what has made you such a fantastic church to pastor and a 
appealing church to other pastors is that you know you cannot just play it safe. And so many of you do give so generously of your lives and of your money. Echoes of holy generosity inspired by divine love are vibrating in this congregation. It's so alive here. But this is one of those moments where you do have to be very specific about that decision again. It's one of those moments where you have to be purposeful again. What are you going to give in 2022 to the ministry of Dayspring? What will you sow during the season of transition and then into that season of the first year of your next pastor? Will you make the commitment again to give to your hopes and your dreams for Dayspring? And for your church. A few months ago, I had a text friend, a conversation with a friend about this who attends a church in another city, and his church was asking him at that time to also think about giving. And obviously, I'm not this guy's pastor, but he knows that I'm a pastor, and we've been friends since long before I was a pastor. So sometimes he'll ask me a question because he kind of wants the inside scoop on what a pastor actually thinks, where he can ask both as a friend and a pastor. And on one random Saturday morning out of nowhere in August, he sent me this text. Ding. Give me a summary of your views of giving money to the church. Bloop. Yeah, it's kind of hard to summarize giving to the church in a text, right? As you can imagine, I have more than a few thoughts. But I know he was asking for really practical thoughts. And it strikes me that perhaps on this Sunday, it would be really helpful for me to share my really practical thoughts with you on how to come to that practical number. Now, I didn't say this to him because he already knows this. But just so you know, I don't think there is a divine mandate to give 10% of your income to the church. At the same time, I do think it's a really healthy spiritual practice. And, now here's the kicker you're not going to like, I think it's way more doable than most people are willing to let themselves believe. That giving a full 10% of your income is doable. And because I'm moving into that really practical part of my sermon, and this is one of my last chances to say this, I'm going to be really open with you and tell you about my own practice. Giving 10% of whatever money has come home is one of those spiritual practices that have just always been important to me. It was when I was in high school, mowing people's yards or shoveling snow or whatever I was doing. It was when I was in college paying my own way and even taking out loans, but I still had some side jobs to try to do that, and so I gave. It was when I was newly married, working four jobs to pay our bills, and it has been working a salary job, raising four kids. It's just always been one of those practices. And I don't tell you that at all to brag about myself, but I'm willing to tell you that because the honest truth is we all make choices about what we're going to do and we're not going to do with our money. We just do. We all say yes to some things, which does mean we have to say no to other things. That's just, that's just honest. And if you choose, you actually can give 10% of your bring home pay to the church 
and still give some money to other things you care about and choose to limit your expenses so you can still pay your bills and still have fun and friendships and joy in this life. It is something you can choose to do. I also tell you this because I feel the pull of greed and envy and materialism in me that is so rampant among us in our culture. It's just the waters we swim in, right, in our culture. And like a fish swimming in water, we hardly even notice it. But I know greed and envy and materialism firsthand. I feel it pull on me. And so one of the ways that I try to save my soul is by keeping that commitment. That's why I call it a spiritual practice. Well, this friend of mine knows that I have that practice because this isn't the first time we've talked about this over, year, over the years. He also knows, I think some people are actually called to give more than 10% of their income to the church because they are able to, and the church just can't exist and thrive without it. And I think some people are not called to even give 5% of their income to the church. And I think almost everyone, maybe minus a few exceptions, actually could give 10% of their income to the church if they chose to. And I think how much we are called to give probably changes in different seasons of our life. The struggling single parent, I don't think, is called to give the same percentage as a stable 40-something couple in their mid-career like myself. Nor do I think they are called to give what an empty nester who's built up their nest egg might be called to give. In different seasons of our life, we may be called to different kinds of generosity, but we do know that Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And he wasn't just talking about our money, but our money certainly is included in that. But all of that was a previous conversation. None of that made it into the text. So here's what I put to offer some practical advice. From his prompt, quote, give me a summary of giving two money to the church, bling, on the Saturday morning in August. My response, one, if you are utilizing the church's ministries in any way, a.k.a. do your kids participate in any of their programs, or do you just listen to their sermons online? Or do you physically go to their church building or lands at any point in your week, even if it's not for worship? Or anything like that. You need to be financially supporting the church. As another little side note here, again, this isn't to brag on me, but just to let you know, that's why Jesse and I are actually still pledging to the church in 2022. Our kids are going to be coming to Manna and youth group, and we still believe in the future and ministry of the church, and so we are still going to be giving today spring, even though you won't see us here on Sunday mornings. But in my text, I said, the church does not exist without the support of people who are participating in its ministry. So the first question, the first why to give, is based on the question, will it affect your life at all if it went away? If so, then you need to financially support it. How much to give, I wrote, that's a harder one. <laughs> so he texted back. Yes, that's hard. 
we've been giving what I feel is a whole lot, but we never save and have been digging into our savings. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of you. I know I've been there before. My reply, I think the amount you're invested in and you care about the church should probably play a part in the decision about how much you give. I also think your overall wealth and your ability to give should also play a part in that decision. His response? Well, that's vague. (laughs) Which it is. So I went on. We all make choices with our money, I wrote. I think sometimes the church guilts people to give more who should not feel obligated to give more. I think sometimes people don't give as much as they could, but they don't have problems spending their money in other areas. I can't tell you how much to give. I'm happy to talk about it in person and brainstorm, but that's my summary in a nutshell. And then I sent him one last thought. When it comes down to it, actually pray about it and ask for guidance. And then listen to your heart and listen to the love of God in you. Dayspring, honestly, that's probably the most important thing I can say to you about how much to give and what that number should be that you put down on your commitment card. Actually pray about it. Even if you're someone who doesn't tend to pray on your own very often, pray about it and then pause and listen to your heart and the love of God in you. It seems to me that that's kind of where Paul lands. You sow sparingly. He says you'll reap sparingly. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. But when it comes down to it, Paul says, what God wants, what God loves is a cheerful giver. So don't give out of guilt. And don't give out of obligation. And don't even follow that old advice. It can be helpful sometimes, but not always. Give until it hurts. Maybe you've heard that one. Now, I'd say listen to Paul. And give until your giving fills you with joy. Give what makes your heart glad and proud to give. Give out of your gratitude for Dayspring and your hopes for Dayspring. Give because so much has been given to you. Give because your heart wants to give, for the love of God is in you, and it's gotten a hold of you, and just like God, you so love the world. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do ask that you would guide our hearts guide them to reverberate with your heart from love and gratitude and with our hopes and dreams of what can be filling our minds. Guide us to that concrete number that you would have us give to the ministry and the future of Dayspring. For in this moment, O Lord, we hold before you not just our money, but the whole of our lives as well. 